Wendy? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, you're funny. Aww. <laughs> Thank you. It's really great. It's really, really, really a thrill to be with you this morning and to gather around the breakfast table. How often do we get to do this? And it's a, it tastes, it's like a little taste of heaven, of what heaven's going to be like as we fellowship and as we partake in this wonderful food. Wow, it's, it's a privilege to be here. Can you guys hear me okay? I'm also the sound person, so that's a little scary. <laughs> yeah, okay. Everybody, is it good now? Okay. All right. Um, you know, you, you probably noticed those wonderful flyers. Didn't you love those that had the the little slices of fruit all together, and it was from Galatians 5. Um, but you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about Galatians 5. <laughs> so, anyway, we are going to talk about fruit, um, but, and so I'm going to hint at that fruit from Galatians 5. But there's really another fruit that I want to talk to you about this morning, and it's the application of the fruit of righteousness from Romans 12.1. So we're going to set the bookmark here. If you want to open your Bibles with me, there are a couple of Bibles on the table. They're the, um, the New American Standard Version. I know the chapel has several copies of those. That's why I chose that, that version today. You can also follow along in your phones. So we're going to kind of plant in Romans 12.1. We'll be moving other places as well. And if it's okay, would you guys mind to stand for a minute as we read together? Romans 12.1. I'll give you a minute to find it if you haven't already. Okay, let's read it together. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. It's, there's something very beautiful about reading God's Word together. I just love that. So thank you. Well, we're going to start... I feel like this is not quite right. Okay, we're going to start with the word, therefore. And so as Eric would say, What's the therefore? What's the therefore? Therefore, right? Okay, there therefore is there to point us back to the previous verses, 11, 33 through 36, and all, all the preceding 11 chapters, really, of Romans. Um, and so the doxology of praise is really what it is in Romans 11, 33 through 36. And I'll just read that to you because we're going to sing it in just a minute. So get your singing voices ready. After the parfait you just swallowed, right? <laughs> oh, the depth of the riches and the, both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. 
To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Don't you love the use of those prepositions? From, through, to. It encompasses everything because he is everything. So, what is the therefore, therefore anyway? It's to remind us of who we are without Christ and who we are with Christ. So we look before in the preceding 11 chapters and then we look ahead um, in the rest of Romans 12 and beyond. Um, let me encourage you, if you haven't read through Romans before, that you would take this summer to do so. It's, it's a weighty book, but it's pivotal in our understanding um, because it humbles us in who God is, because it shows us our innate sin, um, it shows us God's justice, and also his mercy. So I had the privilege of studying Romans this year in Bible study, and the first few chapters, I was really crawling, just crawling to him. Um, and so you, you welcome that fireworks display at the, of praise at the end of Romans 11 that we just sang about. Um, so therefore is really a small, very, very small word, but it's a mighty word. Um, and it's an essential part of Romans 12. One, so I don't, I don't want you to miss it. Because uh, how can we move forward in our understanding of, who, of his continued work if, if we don't understand his past work? So therefore, is really the hinge on the door um, that allows that door to swing wide open so that we can walk toward greater truths and a greater understanding of who he is in his mercy. And therefore, it also gives us this scenic view. Um, and this is kind of a hypothetical situation in my house because we, we're just now to the point where we can go on trail walks and uh, <laughs> without a whole lot of uh, whining. Um, so we, we haven't really done this yet. But you know, when you're walking up you're hiking up a trail and you come to this clearing with a beautiful view all of a sudden you have perspective don't you you have perspective and you can look back and you can see that it's been worth all the uphill climb when you see that beautiful view the journey's not done and there's a lot more endurance ahead but for a moment you can enjoy the view of where the climb has brought you right um, and so, therefore, it's like that breathtaking sigh where you go, Ah, oh, it's beautiful. And it's that sigh also of rest where you can, oh, I'm just going to rest just for a minute before I keep going. Um, and so, we have awe. We have the awe of the moment. And that's what the therefore is. And the rest of Romans, chapters 12 through 16, it, it helps us see what the fruit of righteousness looks like through our behavior as we navigate the remaining portion of the mountain. The word therefore includes a phrase to help clarify its meaning. It's in view of God's mercy. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. And that phrase, it fits well with the scenic view, doesn't it? Because it's in view, right? View. And if we aren't looking through the lens that, like, say you, you have some binoculars and you're, you're looking out into that very scenic view. Um, if you're not looking through the lens of mercy, our lens is, is obstructed. Um, it's incomplete and it's at best blurry and foggy. 
So, what do you think it means to, to view situations through the lens of His mercy? Viewing situations through the lens of His mercy means that I don't get to choose the lens I look through. Uh, so, when you think of Romans 12.1, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? You can just yell it out. What's the first thing? Sacrifice. Right. It's the sacrifice, isn't it? That's what you normally think of, right? And, and that's, sure, that's of course. But if we skip over the first part of that verse, we're tempted to use a different kind of lens to look through. So, you know, what if I put the lens of obedience there? In view of obedience... Or if I put, in view of morality, <laughs> offer my body as a living sacrifice. Whoa, that changes, to it changes everything, doesn't it? And if you put any other word here but mercy, it fogs up our view. Our motivation for sacrifice is because of His mercy. And mercy alone only and viewing what we do only through what he has done that's the only way and any other lens it, it just won't do it results if I see if I put another lens up in my binoculars it results in legalism with pride and self-fulfillment as the motivator of our offering sometimes that just happens doesn't it viewing from a lens other than mercy is much like 1 Corinthians 13.1 If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So when we replace God's mercy with a view through anything else, we've nullified the work of a living sacrifice. And we've just reduced it to idolatry. Ouch. That's painful. Uh, when we replace God's mercy with anything else, our offering is for self-worship instead of God-worship. Lord, help us. Praise Him that He is quick to reveal sin. Mercy-mindedness means that I have a steady joy. Mercy-mindedness means steadied joy. And you know how the woman in the parable of the lost coin, what's she doing? She's searching frantically for that lost coin, right? We don't search for joy that way. We don't look for it behind pillows or under the bed. Because when we're mercy-minded, we always have it. It's never lost. So viewing through the lens of his mercy also includes an understanding of his sovereignty. His sovereignty is just a huge part of who he is. And you know, if I'm honest here, I'm gonna, I tend to pick and choose what circumstances reside under the umbrella of his sovereign mercy. <laughs> um, you know, we see it as mercy when we don't get the speeding ticket that we deserve. <laughs> right? Okay, but what about when we do? When we do get the speeding ticket we deserve. Do we still see it as part of his mercy? Is he no less merciful here than he was when we didn't get it? His mercy hasn't changed. Um, yeah. So it doesn't seem like mercy when God hands us difficult circumstances like sickness and death or struggling relationships. 
conflict, we could all name something here because we're all in something right now, a struggle of some sort. And so, you know, there are situations where I struggle to surrender to that sovereign mercy and I hesitate to call those circumstances good because of the deep challenges that they bring. And so then it just results in a short-sightedness of perspective in the sanctification that he's trying to work in me. Does that make sense? (laughs) Uh, Webster's definition of mercy is compassion, forbearance, uh, shown especially to an offender. It's also lenient or compassionate treatment. But you know, I think mercy is one of those words where you say, I do not think it means what you think it means. (laughs) Because we must trust God to define what mercy looks like in our lives, even when his mercy seems severe. (laughs) Would you ever put those two words together? (laughs) Severe mercy? They they seem like kind of an oxymoron. You would never put those two words together because when you think of mercy, you think of lenient. Um, Severe, it means harsh. And his mercy can be harsh because it cleanses and it purifies. You know, as Paul sits in jail writing a letter to the Philippians, he applies his firm hold of God's sovereign, severe mercy. Philippians 1.12 says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You know, he was living the gospel with a view of his sovereign mercy that was severe. I don't think he was very happy about sitting in a jail cell, yet he knew how it advanced the gospel and it was worth it all. So how can we view our current circumstances this way? Through surrendered, humble, gospel living. And... Obviously, Paul's life was evident of Romans 12, 2, of a transformed and renewed mind, which was enabled by the Spirit alone. And so, how are you willing to accept his definition of mercy and not your own? Paul begs us. He urges, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view. He begs us, begs us to have this view of mercy We could never exhaust the depths of God's mercy, which also exemplifies His grace, but that would be a whole other topic for another breakfast, right? We can just meet next Saturday when we talk about grace, right? I mean, that's... um, We will move on to offering and worship for now. Um, so, So we have, in view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So Paul speaks of a living sacrifice, which is unique because in Old Testament times, you know, we know that dead animals sufficed as offerings. But because of Christ's merciful work, our acceptable worship is to offer ourselves completely with our heart, soul, and mind as an instrument of righteousness for the Lord to use. So, okay, here's another question for you. What do you think it means to live out a living sacrifice? 
being a living offering, it's bigger than the offering plate, isn't it? <laughs> Much bigger than the offering plate. Whoa. And if we take a glance at Romans 6, 12, and 13, if you want to turn over a few pages back the other way. It helps us see, it's Romans 6, 12, and 13. It helps us see what an instrument of righteousness is and then what it isn't. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Funny thing, though, that we, I, cannot do this work or muster up enough righteousness of our own. It's in Christ alone that we receive this. So living really means surrendering, which is really dying, right? So living is really dying to self, which changes the picture of an offering. I don't know about you, but in my, I'm a picture person. I'm a, kind of a visual learner, and so I think about, I have pictures in my mind, and half the time I think they're wrong, or they're too conformist anyway. But, you know, the picture of a living sacrifice or an offering as a superhero with a cape Capable of scaling walls or tall buildings? That does not meet the definition of an offering. <laughs> Doesn't. What is an offering? Being an offering means decreasing. So he is increasing, like John 3.30 says. Being an offering doesn't necessarily mean doing more or doing less. I, I have this mind picture of Isaac on the altar lying there with ropes across him, but that's not really right either. No, it, I must allow the Holy Spirit to redraw what it means personally for me to be a living sacrifice, an offering, which is going to be different for each one of you. And when, when we're surrendered to Him, we're doing what He's wanting us to do. And so it could mean saying yes, or it could mean saying no. <laughs> I must be spirit-yielded, Otherwise, we compare our offerings. I don't need, have you ever done that? <laughs> yes, I should sit down now because, yes, I, we compare our offerings to others, which robs joy and contentment completely. If we're comparing our offerings and what He's giving us to offer back to Him, we aren't looking up in worship. Nope. We're worshiping the gifts he has, he has or hasn't given us, which means we're worshiping self again. Because it's, we easily come to idolatry, don't we? Christ-centered worship is this. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, in word or de deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Being a living offering means doing all for Him, using the gifts that He's given with thanks. That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Hmm. Mundane and extraordinary things and all in between. All of those things offered to Him. He's given us all different gifts. Romans 12, 6 says, We have different gifts according to His grace. 
So let us use them. This means that we also need to encourage others in their gifts. Instead of feeling bad that we don't have that gift, we need to go and encourage the person who does have that gift and not covet what they have. He's given each of us unique ways to worship Him as a living offering or sacrifice. So let's do it wholeheartedly unto Him without seeing personal fault or lack in ourselves or others. And I think as women, we are very insecure here. We compare ourselves all the time with others. And, so, and, and also we compare our children with other children. And so that means we, I, I can't live vicariously through my children trying to turn them into the offering I think they should be. I need to let the Lord work in their lives doing His work because my, what's my work? I don't know. I just like to be in control, I guess. I don't know. Ugh, but he's constantly showing that to me, and I just have to keep giving it back. So, let's simply and humbly, with overflowing joy and gratitude, give back to him simply what he's given to us. And a friend reminded me that as living offerings, we, we don't get to choose what kind of offering we are. Because if we did, it wouldn't be very sacrificial, would it? But I would sure like to choose sometimes because it'd be a lot more convenient. <laughs> no, no, we, we let him choose. We surrender ourselves to him and let him do the work. So offering and worship, the next part, the last part of Romans 12, 1, those offering and worship go together, certainly. So and what I am offering to or for reveals who or what I am worshiping. And the seemingly subtle heart difference can be staggering. That's why we really have to commit our motive to him. Because I can convince myself that I have the right motive and I don't. So we pray for God to reveal our heart's motive in everything we do. Because I can easily convince myself I'm offering to God when in reality I'm offering to promote self, which is sin. Once again, idolatry. Offering is our spiritual service of worship. And it didn't say the word reasonable. What did it say here? Acceptable. It said acceptable in the New American Standard. The NIV says it's reasonable. And I especially like the use of that word because, you know, it's logical. It's logical that we offer it to him. It implies a debt that we could never repay. It's not admirable to be a living offering. It's not heroic to be a living offering. It's just reasonable. It's rational thinking. It's one of those duh moments because of his great mercy. That's why we do it. And being a living offering, it's also not joyless obligatory. There's no room for pride. Only in humility is the offering accepted. So we're going to go back to Genesis for a minute. You don't have to turn there. I just want to go back to the kind of that first worship service. 
that we know didn't end very well. So the first worshipers, Adam and Eve, they had a truly perfect situation. <laughs> you know, Eden was the perfect place. No sin was present. It was truly paradise. But it wasn't the situation or the location that made it so great. It was the presence of the one who made it so great. God was with them. Their world was permeated with his glory. And they breathed and they ate and they played and they worked to exalt his goodness and, and his greatness. There was no redemptive provisions made, or disclosed anyway, for none were needed, right? There was no need even to prompt Adam and Eve to worship. Because their entire existence revolved around the God who made them. You know what happened? I, we know what happened. We know what happened, don't we? Our first parents were born worshiping, but when they ate that fruit, that forbidden fruit, their worship was gravely redirected and misguided. They were duped by a serpent, and they rejected the gift of worshiping God and chose to worship themselves. Misguided worship continues through the offerings of Cain and Abel. We know only Abel's is accepted because his is one of faith, and not self-effort. The first recorded worship ends in one worshiper killing the other. So, in our sin-ridden world, our worship looks pretty broken, doesn't it? And sometimes we reduce our worship to an order of service or a checklist of ministries. Sometimes I, I feel like I am going crazy um, and Avery, don't, don't even say anything about that. <laughs> My children would verify this truth, I know. Uh, but do you ever feel like you're living in two worlds? You're in the flesh and you also have, you're in the spirit that, <laughs> and those worlds collide and there's this great tension and this great battle and we know the war has been won but there's just so much battle. Ah! And your heart is the battlefield. And Calgon cannot fix this. <laughs> Calgon cannot fix... No, I, you know, I want to run from this war, but I can't. I must surrender my body for him to use somehow. He can use the brokenness in me and in you for his glory. Praise God. He uses our brokenness. And um, I love thinking about this story um, where Mary breaks open the jar. Do you remember that story of expensive oil? It's, it's in John 12. Um, Jesus is at Bethany and she breaks open that jar and it had to be broken in order to be fragrant and worshipful. So brokenness is an opportunity for our worship that he will use. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7-11 through 11, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about the body in the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. 
For we who live are constantly being del delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And that's worship. So how would that treasure come out unless the vessel was broken? Jars of clay, like what we are, they're pretty fragile. Mary broke that jar to allow that fragrant aroma of worship to fill the room. So in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the, ones, to the one, an aroma from death to death, to the other, an aroma from life to life. So what a privilege that He uses us to spread the fragrance of Him. If we're not broken and spilled out, how can the, the fragrance of Christ fill the room? Our worship flows out as a response to His mercy. So if we don't have an understanding of His mercy, if His mercy is not in view, how can we really worship? So what's the take home here? <laughs> so therefore, is the hinge that allows the door of mercy to open wide so we may live as worshipful offerings displaying a scenic view of His sovereignty. So how can you see... Do you want me to read that again? Yes. Okay. Uh, the take-home is, Therefore is the hinge that allows the door of mercy to open wide, displaying a scenic view of His sovereignty, so that we may live as worshipful offerings. I think I said it backwards a second ago. How can you see God's mercy helping you become a living offering for Him? Because it's all about His mercy. It's all about His mercy. And is He worthy? Is He worthy of your offering? He is. He is. Um, so I want to close in prayer. Lord, You... <laughs> You're full of mercy. Oh, and we want to live in the view of your mercy that produces gratitude and joy. We get to be a living offering for you because the perfect sacrifice was made through Jesus. Would you remind us how reasonable it is to offer our bodies that we would not do it out of obligation Lord, that we would do it out of joy because of your great mercy. May how we daily live be worship to you. You are so worthy. And I pray as we go forth from here that the, the word, Romans 12, 1, you would just plant that in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we want to live by, we want to have a gospel mind. We want to live by your word. Help us to do that. Thank you. Amen.